With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and, of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOCNation. And welcome to wrestling with problems. I'm your host, King David Lane. That's King David Lane on just about every social media platform. So give me a like, follow, and friend request, and I'll give you a return. And also follow King David Comedy. That's coming with the K on most major social media platforms as well. I made a talk with else but wrestling and problems. Uh, good news and bad news. The good news is there'll be a show this week. The bad news is Michael's Chris Best is missing again. There's rumors that he was murdered and then set on fire while celebrating his birthday. But hopefully he'll be back next week, even if he was murdered, you know. Maybe we'll use some, like, New Orleans voodoo or maybe the zombie disease will come back. Because this is 2020. Any number of crazy things could happen this year. But even though he might have been murdered and set on fire, there's still a chance he'll be back very, very soon. So we're hoping Chris will be back very soon. Not Chris, because he, no. he told me he had the big black one. I don't know what how that's relevant to anything what I just said, but okay. Anyway, we're here to talk wrestling and problems. Uh... I don't really think we have any problems I'm going to discuss this week. You know, maybe something will come up during the show. You never know. Since I'm doing a show by myself, sometimes ramblings will get off topic and maybe a problem will come up. But for the most part, I have intentions on discussing two things this week since it's basically a solo show. <coughs> I intend to discuss wrestling stables that have been underrated because I had to come up with something else to talk about other than just current news. So I hate talking about the current news and, you know, most angles and whatnot when it's just me by myself. So I'm going to talk about some all-time historic wrestling stables that are considered underrated. Uh, just for the record, uh, I researched this using WWE.com, TheSportster.com, uh, and SE Scoops, as well as you know some other places as well. But uh, using the uh, WWE.com article, the 15 most underrated stables of all time, also, the 10 most underrated wrestling factions of all time. And I believe there was another article. If I happen to find the information about the article I use, I will uh, 
post post that and discuss that too. But those were the main articles I'm going to use to discuss this article a little bit later in the show. I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Normally, we make our predictions for the show at the end of the show in the last half hour or so. Since this is a solo show, and I don't know how long it's going to go, though, I decided to flip the script. I'm going to do classic champion predictions at the beginning of the show this year this week, so if that's all you want to listen to, you're in luck. You don't have to fast forward. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we right now, we have seven matches listed for Class of Champions at the moment. Technically, every WWE title is supposed to be on the uh, docket at some point uh, during this pay-per-view, so obviously, I don't see any, any NXT stuff listed. Normally, NXT is not included in this, so all the quote, WWE titles should be up for grabs. I don't see a U.S. title match listed at the moment, but I'm assuming that that will at some point uh, come into play. But anyway, we'll get into those matches just a little bit uh, later. Uh, The first match we got uh, coming up is the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford versus the Triple Threat winner for the tag team match for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Uh, the triple threat match will be taking place uh, Monday night. That is, if you're listening live, that is tonight on Raw. If you're not listening live, it's probably already happened. <laughs> if you're listening any day later in the week. But the triple threat tag match takes place between teams of Seth Rollins and Murphy, Andrade and Angel Garza, and Humberto Carrillo, Carrillo and Dominic Mysterio. So the winner of those teams will face uh, the Street Profits and a tag team match for Raw Championship uh, I'm kind of conflicted on this. I don't think Humberto Carrillo and Dominic Dominic Mysterio will be winning that match. Uh, Andrade and Garza, they've been doing this thing where they're probably going to split. So I don't know if they just pull it together now or if they uh, win it somehow. Same thing with Seth Rollins and Murphy. Actually, now that I think about it, Seth Rollins and Murphy are feuding. Andrade and Andrew Garza are feuding. Maybe Humberto Carrillo and Dominic Mysterio somehow uh, put together because they're the only team that might be getting along out of these three. So I'm going to reverse. I'm going to reverse myself and say that they pull it off because other teams fight and do something stupid. So actually, uh, talked myself out of it after a little bit of thought. I want to predict they win a triple threat and they will place face the Street Profits for the Raw Tag Team Championships. I am, however, going to predict the Street Profits uh, pull off the win. And probably I'm going to say Umberto Carrillo uh, takes the L in that match because they are pushing Dominic Mysterio pretty strong. And Umberto, uh, Umberto Carrillo has pretty much been invisible lately, <laughs> unless he's on some of those shows that I don't watch that are on the network only, <laughs> like main event or something. But I haven't seen them much lately, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, predict Street Fafis, uh pull off the win with him taking a loss. Uh, next, we got a triple threat letter match uh, for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Hmm. I'm I'm intrigued by this match. I definitely like the, some of the talent in this match. Uh, AJ Styles has been doing great work for quite some time. I was n- not early on the AJ Styles bandwagon. In fact, I literally had no interest in AJ Styles whatsoever. He was just literally a guy to me until they did the kind of silly, stupid angle where he was kind of like, you know, kind of flirting with Dixie Carter, kind of, we were kind of like, are they in a relationship or are they not? Are they fooling around? They had the stupid angle where there was some, I think some woman that might have been pregnant in there or something, some stupid crap. 
But anyway, any rate, and then that angle fell apart, so they had to <laughs> go away from it. But anyway, that's when I first started to like AJ Styles a little bit. Before that, prior to that, he was just like another guy. I know he was considered a great wrestler, but I just didn't see it. I was not interested. Then when he said did the sort of he did the sort of uh whole dark uh gimmick where he like towards the end of his uh impact TNA run, uh he was sort of this lone wook, dark figure, almost a little bit kinda like sting. Not quite that, but you know, that sort of, you know, darkness over him. He did a good job with that. He moved on to Ring Honor and went to New Japan, did some good work there with the Bullet Club and some other stuff. So I enjoyed him then. Came to WWE. I was kind of thinking that he might be one of those guys that sort of got lost in the shuffle when he went to the went to the WWE, but he did actually manage to pull off a title reign, so I was glad for that. He was WWE champion for a while. Uh, Jeff Hardy has pretty much done great work over the last last more than two decades, probably two and a half decades at this point, just about almost. But uh, you know, obviously he's he's had his demons and whatnot, but I've been a fan of his the whole time. He's done a great job both solo and in the tag team with his uh, brother Matt. And Jeff Hardy's considered the champion at the moment, even though they're doing a thing where Sami Zayn never actually lost the belt. Uh, looking at these three men who's in the match, I think they're going to continue with the push for Jeff Hardy. So I'm going to pull see Jeff Hardy pulls off the win in a letter match. Although it's weird, usually in a letter match, Jeff Hardy does great work and then loses. So it's kind of silly for me to pick him in this match, but I'm going to pick him anyway. It's always weird. It's like, it's, it's like him, the Dudley boys, Edge and Christian. They're going to be the stars of the match, the Hardys, and then they're going to lose. Because <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the way it worked most of the time. Anyway, we got a tag team match for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships. We got Cesaro and Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura, champions versus Lucha House Party. It will be some combination of Kalisto, Grand Metalik, or Lince Dorado. I have no reason to think that Lucha House Party is going to win this match, so I'm not going to predict they win a match. Cesaro and Nakamura will get the victory. <laughs> I really don't have to say a lot about this match because Lucha House Party has barely been visible until like the last week or two leading into this. Next, we got a tag team match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. We got Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler versus the Riot Squad, Ruby Riot, and Liv Morgan. I just don't see uh, the Riot Scrap pulling off awesome at the moment. I sort of like the thing they've done where uh, they sort of have Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler feud, and they've done that before where, like, Austin and numerous partners, uh, I think Mankind numerous partners pull that off. They did the Kane and Daniel Bryan thing, so they're doing a nice sort of uh, female version of that sort of odd couple. They're great together even though they were like, you know, don't really care for each other that much. And you stay out of my way, I'll stay out of your way. You stay out of my way because I'm, I'm the best. So I kind of like what they're doing with that. I think they're going to continue with that feud. And they're going to continue as champions. Next, we got a singles match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. We got uh, Bailey versus Nikki Cross. Uh, this feud is very, very hot as far as... Uh, but at the, let me let me correct that. I was gonna say this feud is very hot as far as that, but like I actually need to expand it. The feud here really is between Bailey and, and Sasha Banks here, and also you got Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss with a little bit of tension between them. So the the feud in this particular match is really not the feud between these two. It's between them and their friends slash former friends. So with the Sasha Banks thing being the big feud really out of this with Bailey. 
it really wouldn't make a hell of a lot of sense for her to drop the belt to Nikki Cross. I don't see it happening, particularly after this nice long title run. I'm going to take Bailey win so she can uh, fight Sasha Banks at least one more time. Nikki Cross will either feud with uh, Alexa Bliss or try to convince her to come back from the dark side that she's slowly ebbing towards after her encounters with uh, the Fiend slash Bray Wyatt. So Bailey will continue as champion. We had a singles match for the WWE Universal Championship. Uh, the com- combatants in this match will be Roman Reigns, the champion, with Paul Heyman and as his advocate versus Jey Uso. I don't realistically think that Jey Uso, in his, in his first singles run, even though he's doing a good job with the feud, I don't think he's going to take the belt from Roman Reigns, especially not with Paul Heyman in, in his side. I, th- I see this as Roman Reigns really going to do something dirty to Jey Uso, though. So that will continue. That will can uh, cause friendly friction, I believe. So I see that's what's happening. I see uh, Roman Reigns can, holding the belt. So uh, I'm going to go with that. Next, we got Drew McIntyre, the champion, versus Randy Orton in MLS match for WWE Championship. Uh, there's some interesting uh, thoughts about Hayden about this. They were maybe going to put the belt on Randy Orton and have him uh, hold on to it until WrestleMania, where he, feels, where he faces Edge, although he's sort of injured at the moment. So maybe that's a little bit of a switch. There was also talk that Keith uh, Lee could take Randy Orton's place if Randy Orton can't make it to the uh, uh, pay-per-view. Although, I know that uh, I wonder how that would have worked, though, if uh, would it still be an ambulance match even if it was Keith Lee instead of Randy Orton? I didn't, I didn't exactly get if that was clear or not. But at any rate, uh, I don't think with Randy Orton being, you know, injured, so even if he does make it, I don't think they're going to take the they're going to put the belt on him just yet. I still think that could happen later down the road. It doesn't make a lot of sense to put the belt on him now to have him lead in WrestleMania. It is fell out anyway, I don't think. And Drew McIntyre hasn't really been given a completely fair shot as his run because in the COVID era, you ha- you can't really have a proper perspective on how fans are reacting to things. As far as because we don't get, really get to see much of a way of a live crowd reaction that sort of thing, you do have the fans in the Thunderdome and whatnot, but that's not that's still not the exact same reaction you get when you see somebody alive and in in, in person. So, but I I don't think he's done anything to hurt himself as far as his build up towards a main character. He's done a solid job in the role. I don't see the reason to take the belt off him. Of course, that means they probably will. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stay. Stay in my prediction. Drew McIntyre retains versus Randy Orton this time. So anyway, that's what we have listed for our uh, class of champions. Basically, this is the only pay-per-view every year where everybody with a title, uh, that title is defended. Uh, The 205 Live brand was featured in a previous pay-per-view when they had uh, the Cruiserweight Championship, although technically that's a NXT title now, so... Like I said, it doesn't appear any, t- t- any any NXT titles will be defended. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, I did notice I did, I had kind of forgot about the twenty four seven title because you pretty much always forget about it <laughs> when uh, our truth is doing something very very interesting with it. Usually, it's it's sort of a, a forgotten forgotten thing. I honestly couldn't tell you for sure who had it right now. I can only uh, assume that R-Truth has it right now. <laughs> but 
Like I, I tried to do a quick look look for it right now, and I can't actually see <laughs> Wesley has the belt right now because it's pretty ridiculous how much that title has changed hands. And our proof has had quote thirty nine reigns at the title. But at any rate, uh, I can only assume if if they want to be accurate with this uh, with this particular. Uh, pay-per-views function at some point we'll see our truth running through the crowd or whoever has a belt they'll be running with the crowd and it will be defended anyway that's enough for that right now we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break coming back we'll discuss some of the most underrated wrestling stables in the history of wrestling but right now you're listening to wrestle problems and we'll be back in just a bit Hey, this is Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In The Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Steins of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. And welcome back to Wrestling With Problems. I'm your host, King David Lane. This King David Lane on just about every social media platform. So give me a like, follow, and friend request, and I will probably give you one in return. And also follow King David Comedy. That's comedy with a K. Almost major social media platforms. At any rate, let's talk about some of the most 
underrated wrestling stables. Uh, I did mention uh, a couple of articles that, that I would be using for some reference for this. Uh, WWE.com had an article called, entitled 15 Most Underrated Stables of All Time. Uh, the Sports had 10 Most Unrated Wrestling Factions of All Time is the article. Bleacher Report had an article by the title of Right to Censor and the 7 Most Underrated Stables in WWE History. And of course, Goliath.com 10 wrestling stables lost to history. Uh, I'm not going to uh, go down each list and read it, but I'm not going to do that to you. That would be ridiculous. Basically, what I'm going to discuss in general is some of the different stables that were noteworthy to me and some of the ones I like the most. Or if I noticed one that I didn't like on one of these lists, I will point that out too. But if you want to go back and get all the information from all these articles, I highly recommend all of them. They're, they're, some, they're a nice read, but I'm not going to just read those articles. That'd be ridiculous. If you just wanted to read the articles, you could read them yourself instead of having me read them. I'm just going to comment on some of these stables mentioned, whether I liked them or didn't like them. <laughs> if I felt neutral about them, I probably would just skip them. At <laughs> any rate, let's start with WWE.com's uh, list. Uh, the Union we discussed this stable uh, a few weeks ago uh, a little bit. Uh, the main members were Mankind, Big Show, Ken Shamrock, and Tess. Uh, this was sort of a short-lived stable. Uh, it was supposed to be feuding with the corporation and also uh, the Ministry of Darkness. Uh, basically, uh, you had these group unite. They were going to be feuding with it. Unfortunately, uh, Mankind, who was sort of the leader, had a uh, knee injury that took him out of out of action. So if you took basically the best talker of that group, uh, Tess was not particularly known as a talker. Big Show was sort of okay, but not really that, that charismatic at the time. He's, you know, developed more at the time, but he was still early in his career. Ken Shamrock clearly was not really known as a talker. He did have a nice, you know, sort of character, nice sort of personality. But basically, without him, that was sort of a rudderless group. So it didn't last very long. Now, the next group that I was excited to like talk about a little bit more is a group that I barely just sort of sort of remember. And I also didn't remember all the members of the group because this was sort of the, uh, I guess this would have been like early WCW. Uh, not too long after the not too long after the uh, WCW sort of left NWA, this group was formed. This is the York Foundation. Uh, this had a young Terry Reynolds as Alexander Lord, uh, Michael Wall Street, formerly known as Mike Rotundo. You also had uh, Terry Taylor, known as Terrence Taylor, Richard Morton, former Richard Morton, uh, Thomas Rich. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm assuming that was Tommy Rich and Mr. Hughes. Basically, this was just like, you know, she was a sort of uh, tycoon. She was a sort of leader of the group. She was giving financial advice to Mike Rotundo, turned into Michael Wall Street. Uh, eventually, uh, Wall Street left WCW. He became RS and uh, WWF later on. But uh, this is a sort of this is a sort of uh, interesting group. Uh, they did uh, finally capture the WCW Six Man Tag Team Championship. But as much as this group has some prominent talent, it, I don't think it left a, a huge legacy as far as uh, what you would have thought, considering the members in the group that it had. 
but it is hilarious to me right now looking at this old picture of Terry Terry Taylor with his glasses and his ponytail. This is hilarious to me. So <laughs> it did make some impact on me. I think uh, I guess it's considered underrated because it did have a lot of talent in it, but I don't think it made that long term impact on a lot of people. So I think underrated is a, is a good good person to put this, but. I don't know how much highly it could have rated what they actually accomplished versus what people thought of them. Next, we got La Familia. We've discussed this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go back that much over this group again. But uh, this is one of those groups I sort of had forgot about. I remember Vicky Guerrero and Chavo and Ed sort of having an alliance. I don't remember this sort of larger group with them, including Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins and Bam Neely. In fact, I don't remember who Bam Neely is. <laughs> The best part about this is it mentions Bam Neely uh, on the article, but the picture doesn't even show Bam Neely. <laughs> so I think that's a perfect metaphor for everything about this. But I did all well, I did like all that individual talent. I don't remember this as a group as well. It was very very weird. Next, we got a stable that I like. I really like to think of as underrated. I guess there was a lot of people who didn't care for this group, but I really did like it. My best friend. Uh, as you know, is the Brock Bizet on Twitter, Brian Hunter. We really enjoyed this group. You had Mike Sanders, Sean O'Hare, Mark Jindrak, Sean Stasiak, Chuck Palumbo, Reno. I have no idea who the hell Reno is, though. <laughs> I don't remember him. And Johnny the Bull. Uh, basically, the Natural Born Thrillers. They were like a group in the sort of end of uh, the uh, end days of WCW. Sort of after uh, NWA sort of hit its peak and WCW was trying out some new stuff. There was a lot of young, fresh talent in this group. Of course, you had uh, you had Mike Sanders, uh, who was going by average Mike Sanders at the time. If there's one name you don't really want, it's Mike's <laughs> it's average. That's one thing you don't want to be in wrestling, average. So uh, <laughs> eventually he, he changed it to above average Mike Sanders. So, uh, but overall, I, I, even though he was quote average, he did some great promos with this group. <laughs> I also used like the little thing they used to do is like, uh, you'll be S O L, and you know what that means? It's like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so, even though the stable was not like by any means main eventers or, or top cart sort of top talent, it was very, very interesting. Uh, so, I enjoyed what they did. It didn't quite launch stars the way that I thought it would, but there was some good talent in the group. There was some athletic talent. They weren't all sort of completely polished wrestlers at that point, but they definitely had some talent, and I really enjoyed what they did. So I thought there was this was like one of those nice young stables from back in the day. It was some of the best talent they had out of WCW's power plant, and I overall enjoyed what they had. So, uh, Definitely an underrated stable in my book. Next, we got a. Uh, let's move on to right to censor. <laughs> another another sort of stable that I really really like. They they had a sort of semi religious sort of back. Night. You had people in it like Stephen Richards, Val Venus, The Good Father, Bull Buchanan, and Ivory. A lot of these people that sort of done these sort of racy gimmicks. Obviously, The Godfather became The Good Father. Val Venus had previously done a porn gimmick. Stevie Richards was sort of a wild man. He'd been doing hardcore stuff, but he became Stephen Richards. 
ivory, you know, with her uh, long dress and uh, wearing a tie. So it went away from what she originally had done early on. It sort of was founded in around 2000, later in the year. Steve Richards became uh, fed up with the attitude era and sort of stuff that was going on with that. He was mad about, like, the use of tables. He basically just picked the most sort of generic sort of black slacks, white shirt, black tie uniform. He had some other talent around him, and he did. He basically just stopped anything offensive. So anything that basically anybody in the WWE universe sort of liked that was fun, sexy, violent, entertaining anyway for the most part, that's the stuff that they basically fought against. So these are sort of sort of fun gimmicks that uh, WWE can take advantage of. They were all. Uh, they were also sort of making fun of Phil Mushnick at the time because I remember that at the time uh, they were basically he was one of those guys that literally complained about everything WWE would do. So they sort of, you know, they wanted to sort of mock him directly, and that's what they did. But I enjoyed this stable. Like I said, it was it was nice watching them sort of, you know, sort of try to tamp down fun. Anytime you get a group that's sort of the quote fun police, that's always enjoyable. Now. It's not the quite the exact sort of thing that FTR do, but it's in the sort of same vein where uh, FTR, when they were previously uh, uh, in WWE, they, they, they did a sort of thing where we're traditionalists. We like the old school way of doing things. So, you know, it's, they want to tamp down on all the high flying and stuff, you know, that sort of thing. I guess the old sort of running gag of the cruiserweight bully, where you have somebody that's just like, you know, they don't want... They don't. Matter of fact, uh, dang, I'm trying to think of the guys who. Dang, there's, there's a guy on WWE's roster who was recently doing that. Got drawn a blank on the guy's name. It was Drew Gulak. That's what it was. Same thing, you know. He doesn't want high flying. He doesn't want. You know, he wants you to follow tradition. These gimmicks work very well, real when they're handled by the right person. And I really enjoyed this one. This was like one of the earlier versions of that, so I enjoyed it. Uh, next, we got the Stud Stable. I don't really know about this is quote underrated. Looking back, I remember this stable. I remember Colonel Rob Park. I remember Buckhouse Buck. I don't remember a lot of the other talent managers. Maybe this is just because I sort of maybe remember the stable a little bit later when some of the talent had left. Maybe uh, Terry Funk and Dick Slater were in it more a little towards the beginning. I don't remember Art Anderson being in the stable at all. I don't remember Steve Austin's stable at all. I don't remember Ming. I don't remember Chris Sauer. But I do remember Colonel Rob Parker with Buckhouse Buck. I, like I said, I sort of remember, I think, Dick Slater a little bit because he was, I think he was sort of at the end at that point, very, very towards the end of his career at that point. But uh, basically, you had a lot of these cowboy dudes, plus you mix in Arn Anderson, Steve Austin, Ming, and Chris Sauer. So if you put, like, uh, Terry Funk and Dick Slade in a group. At a, it, Terry Funk, I definitely like. Terry Funk, you can never not like Terry Funk. But uh, if you put a, quote, younger Dick Slade in a group, and you had Terry Funk as a sort of top guy, and if you had Derry, Dick Slade as sort of number two, Buckhead Bunce could sort of be the what you call the workhorse, you know, because he was a little bit of a younger guy than those guys. But he's a guy that's going to take a lot of ills for the group. I could, like I said, I, I like the stable in retrospect more than I liked it at the time. Because, like I said, literally, I don't remember Terry Funk and Dick 
I don't remember Terry Funk in this staple at all. So I assume he must have been in it early and sort of left. He maybe helped sort of launch it, and then you sort of had the other guys in it after the fact. But the main guy I remember this set, I remember Colonel Rob Park, and I remember Buckhouse Buck, and I remember him losing a lot. <laughs> That's what I remember from this day, but I don't remember Terry Funkin at all. I sort of vaguely remember possibly Dick Slater dressed like dressed in jeans in this a little bit. I don't remember Arnie Anderson or Steve Austin ever being associated with it at all, nor Ming. But at any rate, uh, I like the idea of if you if you put that whole lineup together for me, I like the stable. However, the, the version I remember, I don't consider underrated. I consider it kind of weak. <laughs> but anyway, this particular version of the stable with the misses, the people I mentioned, this is actually a strong stable when I would consider this underrated because it's not really remembered in a way a lot of the other stuff is. Uh, at some point, stunning Steve Austin won a U.S. title over the stable again. Don't remember that at all. I don't remember Curacao, you know, being in it at all. You uh, suppose I guess he hired Ming as his bodyguard again. Don't remember that at all. But it was like, like I said, as far as you know, having a lot of talent that could do a lot of damage to you, that was definitely a thing he could do. Next, we're gonna get into some uh, a stable that I caught, I sort of liked, but it seems like I should have liked it more at the time than I really did. Uh, you had CM Punk, Luke Gallows, Serena Deeb, and uh, Joey Mercury as part of the Straight Edge Society. Obviously, CM Punk was, was one of the hottest wrestlers in the world at this point when you put this sort of stable together. Luke Gallows wasn't quite Luke Gallows that we know at the time, though. He eventually would, you know, go to New Japan and become a little bit more of a star. Uh, Serena, she was portrayed as a sort of fan that sort of joined the group. She was definitely talent, but they didn't really get the best out of her. Jury Mercury was sort of, you know, a guy. So uh, this is one of those stables where, you know, again, I'm better than you. I don't do drugs. I don't do alcohol. I tamp down the fun. It was sort of that, but it also with the added bonus of actually having a true main event star in it, which is a little bit different. So this was around 2010 that this uh, stable went. He made He made everybody shave their heads for the most part. It he basically preed it like a coach leader. So uh I like again, this is one of those stables. I don't know if I can consider it under it. I think it was rated right where it should. I, I felt like WWE should have got more out of this stable, but they just didn't for some reason. I never truly could understand why. But at any rate, uh eventually everybody left them and they moved on, so Next, we'll talk about the uh, Jersey Triad. This is one of those stables that's underrated in a sense. I sort of forget about them. I do remember this existing, don't get me wrong. But this is one of the ones that, like, if, if you don't remind me about it every every now and again, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But basically, you had uh, three of New Jersey's, uh, you know, most famous wrestler. You had DDP. You had Bam Bam Bigelow. And you had Kenya. This is, again little bit after the NW would sort of run its course. It NWO kept would kept coming back every now and again and then they would try to redo it again and again and again and uh, it would never sort of have populated it earlier. But they had to try to do some other stuff. This is one of those other things they did. Uh WCW tag team champions uh were Raven and Saturn at the time. They had a match for the titles. Canyon uh they thought was going to save Saturn. He ended up re- 
he ended up betraying him and included with DDP and Bam Bam on an episode of Nitro. I don't really honestly remember that much about the stable. I do remember existing. They did defend the titles under the Freebird rule, so any two of the three could uh, sort of defend the belts. And eventually, they did have uh, they did have Canyon and reunite with Page uh, during WWE's invasion period, and they defeated the, the APA to have a reign as tag team Again, that's some, that's something I don't remember at all. I did not realize that happened. But apparently, according to WWE.com, it happened, so I assume that it did. But I would definitely consider them underrated, considered what talent was in the group. And they actually, you know, we're still doing solid work at this point. Canyon was always a, a great worker. Bam Bam Bigelow was one of the most athletic big men of all time. And DDP, nobody did a better job of sort of just taking advantage of having one move that people really, really liked. He did have a good personality and whatnot, but basically he's just doing one move. He basically would get beat up all match, and he, could, he had that one move that he could pull off, and it was perfect. So I think he did a great job with that. Uh, not there's a lot of other people that would try to do something similar and it wouldn't work, but he did a good job with it. He always had the diamond cutter in his back pocket, so no matter what, you could be, you could kick his ass for 20 minutes and you'd still know he had he had the chance. It was the RKO. It was the RKO out of nowhere before the RKO out of nowhere, basically. Next, we're going to discuss uh, King Booker's court. Uh, Honestly, I don't consider this underrated. <laughs> yeah, King Booker, Finley, William Regal, Charmel. I sort of forgot about this. This was sort of, you know, late stage fit Finley. Uh, Booker did have the uh, the World Championship at one point in this stable. Regal was sort of at the end, you know, towards the end at this point as well, I think. So... This stable existed. I'm not really consi- I'm not really going to consider them underrated. I think they're rated about where, which is because I don't remember them all that much. <laughs> I, like I said, I was a big fan of Booker T back in the day. The the King Booker gimmick was a little bit silly to me, so I was not always I was not always a huge fan of it. There were times when I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but I liked the Booker T better as quote Booker T as opposed to King Booker. Actually, you could probably say that with most wrestlers who end up with that king gimmick for some period because they won the king of the ring. Most of the time, I liked them better before they were the king or after they stopped being the king. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and take a commercial break real fast. We're coming up. We're going to discuss a few more of these undivided stables, and then I'm going to head out because Solo Show is like a lot more talking than I probably should do on my own. So anyway, you're listening to Wrestling With Problems. We'll be back in just a bit. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Works, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show. 
and recent guests have included General Adnan, Kito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOCNation. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. The morning after, right here on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Brady Hicks and... Homeboy Rap Boy here. I tell you what, we got a good show right here in the afternoon at 12 o'clock. Eastern Standard Time on the VOC Nation. Talking wrestling, football, news, whatever's going on in the world today. VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. And we're back on the list of problems. I'm your host, King David Lane. And earlier we did our classic champions predictions. Or when I say we, I should say me, because it was me by myself. But now we're talking underrated wrestling stables. I mentioned some of the uh, different places I did research for articles. So you can also check out the details of the post of once the podcast is up, if you want to see what articles or what websites, check out some of the information I picked up. But let's get into some of more of these underrated stables of all time. Uh, the Sportster included in their list, the Main Event Mafia. I didn't really realize that this was uh, considered an underrated stable, but this is definitely a strong stable that, since it was TNA, I think maybe that might be part of why it's considered underrated because it, it doesn't get the same price that uh, WWE or AEW would get. But the main event mafia has some top talent, like Hall of Fame level talent in its group. Basically, this is the first time that that you had a stable where it was all people who were main eventers who had all been world champions before. Uh, you had... Kurt Angle, Kevin Nash, Scott Steiner, Booker T, and Sting. So all you had, all you had was like main eventers. All you had was people with the world title. So it was very, very impressive uh, collection of talent. They hadn't always uh, had good storylines with the top stars. Their booking had been kind of shaky at times, but this is one of those times when they actually were able to put it together. You had the main event mafia feuding with, quote, the front line 
wrestlers of TNA. You had AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and some of those guys. So it did a good job of putting, you know, people who already had their legends and you had like sort of future stars of the group as well. Eventually, Samoa Joe, who had been a world champion, joined and Magnus joined eventually. Uh, Magnus had not been a world champion. So he was the first member of the group that they actually put in who had not been a world champion. He was supposed to be quote a future champion. I never really liked him being included since he had not been a champion yet. I, I kind of would have liked if they just sort of did a thing where you're sort of quoted like a pledge or you're like trying to join the group or, you know, your alternate or however you want to describe it, but you have to win a world title before you can be the full fledged member. I think they should have sort of did that with him. But at any rate, uh, that was a great story. They did do some uh, interesting stuff. They had some nice behind-the-scenes things with this. So that was one of the rare times we actually were able to sort of leverage the amount of money they were paying for some of this top talent and actually made it worthwhile, it seemed like. Because that was like the one time when it felt like they really did it correctly. So. And actually got the Brood. Uh, the Brood was sort of a different a different group. They were sort of Gang girls back up. At one point it was Edge and Christian, another point it was uh the Hardy Boys. But they did a uh a sort of cool gimmick with the blood baths. There's always one of those groups that I wish it had stayed together along. Early on, Gang Girl and Edge and Christian were sort of vampire like characters. Uh Gangrel also went by Vampire Warrior. He's sort of done a vampire character pretty much his entire career for the most part in wrestling, most of it. They did a good job uh, as far as uh, putting over the blood gimmick. That was still one of my uh, all-time underrated sort of gimmick parts that they did. Eventually, they just split the group up, and they just put Eggs and Christian as a team. They didn't have the wild, you know, blood gimmick. But they definitely deserve, you know, to be considered underrated because they were a great stable. I just wish Grand Girl had been able to get his stuff together because he had a lot of – apparently, he had some personal issues and that sort of – Detracted from his push, he had issues not only with that, with not being not being as fit as he should have been to be in the business, particularly with WWE. So it ended up creating problems for him. So I wish he had been given a, a longer run within uh, WWE as well. Here's another uh, group that you sort of forget about, but not really. Uh, you sort of like it's not like they're, they're forgotten because they did do a lot of other stuff in the business, but. Uh, you sort of forget how important they were early on. Team Angle. You had Shelton Benjamin, obviously Kurt Angle, and Charlie Haas. Charlie Haas tagged together for years, not only in WWE, but, you know, on the indie scene for a while. Shelton Benjamin is back in WWE having another run as, as far as the Hurt business. But they all had backgrounds in amateur wrestling. Uh, they had a nice sort of thing where even though Benjamin and Haas were sort of his backers, they did you know, sort of have some success on their own. So they weren't just flunkies. So Team, team Angle did a great job. They later became the world's greatest tag team. The be- also known very, very briefly as the best damn tag team, period. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, they had great matches. I enjoyed them. Uh, and then, like I said, they did have a nice, Choke Builders had multiple, you know, runs as far as tag team champion. Uh, Charlie Haas had again had a nice run in W in WWE. He did go on to the indie scene and work with uh, Sheldon Benjamin. So I really enjoyed them. They wanted to stay. They probably could have stayed together much longer if, uh, if that's what WWE wanted to do, but they decided to move on from them. But at any rate, uh, 
Actually, I would like to. I, I would like to see one run of like Angle, Lesnar, Haas, Benjamin as like a, some sort of super group. I would. I would have loved to have seen that for a while too, but that never happened. Actually, we do have a call on the line. Let's see who the call is. Caller, who is this? How's it going, King? It is Brian. Apparently, Brian has not been murdered and set on fire, unlike the other co-host. So, uh, it's going going pretty good. Uh, I'm going to let you get in on some of this action. Uh, I know you've been listening a little bit. Uh, hey, do you want to comment on any of the stables that I've mentioned already, or you just want me to move on and talk about some of the other remaining underrated stables in the history of wrestling? Uh, I um, I definitely like um, a lot of the um, stables that you had um, mentioned. And I do agree with you, uh, especially about um, the brew. Now, my my question is, uh, I didn't catch all of it, but did you bring up um, this one stable called the Varsity Club? I did not bring them up. I have not seen them on the couple of lists that I read yet, but we definitely, definitely hold. Let, 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 let's matter of fact, no. Let, since you brought them up, let's go ahead and bring them up now. The Varsity Club was one of my favorite, like old school stables back in the day. I believe they were NWA when they started. I think that was before yeah. WCW split. Yeah. But basically yeah. the cool thing was you had all these guys who would, most of them had like wrestled in college, but if they had wrestled, they at least played football. They mostly went to like top colleges. You had like the Steiner brothers who both went to Michigan. You had, uh, you had uh, Kevin Sullivan. Oh yeah. And you had Mike Rotundo. Am I leaving anybody out of the early editions? Yeah. Who am I leaving out? Uh, Dr. Dusty Wiggins. I was gonna say I, was, I couldn't remember if he was at the beginning, but he went to Oklahoma, so he was. I couldn't remember if he was at the very beginning or if he later joined later. But yes, uh, yes he uh, joined later because the original group was um, Kevin Sullivan, Mike Rotundo, and um, get this, the rookie Rick Steiner. Hey, I can't. Be- I can't believe he was a rookie back then. Like, that tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> right. But yeah, like I said, that was definitely a stable. That was one of those stables that I I kept wanting them to bring back. I was like, bring back Varsity Club, bring back Varsity Club. But then when they finally brought them back, <coughs> it was way too late. <laughs> like they debuted in '87, then they broke up, and then they finally brought them back in 1999, and you just had all these dudes just looking old. <laughs> Because they were, because they were like, you know, like I said, they were all past their prime at that point. I was like, no, and now it's too late to bring back the Varsity Club. Oh yeah, Dan Spivey was in it at some point too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but they debuted in '87. They disbanded in '89. Then they brought them back ten years after that, and they were together sort of '99 to '20. So at that point, it was way too late. Now, here's my question, though. Okay, since you brought that up, um, you okay, you creative control, how would you have done the Varsity Club, um, the the next edition, I will say? I think if you, de- if you decided to, quote, bring it back at that point, at that point, really, none of those guys were stars anymore. It, you know, main event sort of level talent for the, so, quote, second edition. So what you uh-huh. do is if you bring them back, you only have those you maybe have one or two of them as mentors and you had to bring in new dudes. You would have had to bring in like 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 if they had if they could have brought in somebody like Shelton Benjamin, they could have brought in somebody like uh you know 
like uh, Charlie Haas or some of those guys along those lines. You, you had to bring in guys that had recently sort of wrestled in college or at least guys who were like under the age of 30. Because you can treat, even if they're like, quote, not truly rookies, you can sort of treat them like, you know, young talent that's looking to break in. Right. But bringing in guys in their late 30s and early 40s, especially when they don't, quote, have the look. Like, if, here's another thing. Let's say you would have brought in somebody like Bobby Lashley. You could bring in Bobby Lashley right now as, quote, a leader of, quote, the varsity club. Like, let's say he wasn't in her business. If you want to have, like, quote, the varsity club with Bobby Lashley, Bobby Lashley's in his 40s, but he still looks the look of a tough, strong wrestler. You know, at that point, Rick Steiner looked, still looked halfway decent, but he didn't look like what he looked in his prime. Scott Steiner, okay, you probably could have got away, you could have got away with Scott Steiner back then because he was he was still a main event level talent. He still looked very very good. So you you probably could have brought in Scott Steiner. You probably could have brought in some young fresh blood. You probably could have had Kevin Sullivan or Mike Rotunda as a sort of you know, you could you could have with Kevin Sullivan as sort of the manager. You could have had Mike Rotunda as sort of the as sort of the coach or something like that. Have you wanted to pull that off that way? But that's how you would have had to do that. Basically, you took a, a stable that had been looking to get back together for a long time, and you just brought them back basically as jobbers. That's basically what that's basically what their role was. And for but if me, you, if, I thought that was wait, 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 before before I let you get that last out in. If you could have brought in the top level talent for it though, you could have brought them in as sort of a serious small contender to sort of an NWO group. That's that's what they should have did with like uh, the NWO, because like instead of having you weren't going to have a united quote WCW because wrestlers had their own agendas, but you could have had like a strong four horsemen, you could have had a strong varsity club, you could have had a, you know a few other various stables, and every now and again you sort of have these stables even though they feud with each other, they unify just briefly long enough to sort of put up a credible challenge to NWO. That's what they could have done with that. But anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm gonna go ahead and let you uh, get your thought out now. Uh, it just um it, it just pretty much said um I agree with you about how they misused them badly, so so freaking badly, it, and uh it I just shake my head at how many times WCW dropped the ball on so many things, and I would have thought that um possibly. Possibly that uh, Vince would have um, did pretty good, but um, a group that I thought was slightly underrated as well was probably the Extreme Horsemen. Wait, wait, say, say that again. I saw you. You're, you did you just mention Vince and Extreme Horsemen? No, no, no. Um, I, um, I, I said I thought um, Vince um, would have actually. Um, Tried to bring back the varsity club, but we already know how Vince is. But I also think that the extreme horsemen were um, very underrated. For um, um, if you want to go with all these other groups and everything, Flash Stables, I do believe that the extreme horsemen were probably underrated. Yep, I think the one disadvantage they have as far as they were like an MLW and they were an eighty scene, so they weren't. They didn't quit. They didn't get completely true national or international exposure the way some of these other stables get, but they're definitely an underrated stable. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't really know that much about them until very, very recently when uh, MLW started having, uh, due to the COVID stuff, they started playing some old stuff. So I, right. I got in their stuff a little bit more. 
but yeah, they're definitely underrated. I'm not going to talk too much more about them tonight since we talk, we did talk about them a few weeks ago, but they definitely should be included on this list of uh, of underrated stables. So definitely. Mm. Anyway, let's let's move on to some 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 other stables. Since we did since we did decide to go like beyond WWE beyond WWE and WCW, I know this probably will be a favorite of yours. Shane Douglas, Bam Bam Bigelow, Chris Candido, Francine, the Triple Threat ECW. I think if if you if you watched ECW, they won't be considered underrated to you. You will know how great this stable was. You 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 hold them a dear place in your heart. Obviously, there was a lot of people who didn't get a chance to check out ECW. So basically, you had Shane Douglas and running down Ric Flair. You had Shane Douglas uh, for the longest time, sort of being stalked by like. Possibly, possibly ravishing Rick Rude, but possibly somebody else. I'm just, and literally, I've literally until I went to the hospital last week, I've been like, I mean, the last month, uh, I had been watching this and just sort of getting caught up on the storyline because it was taking place in 97 ECW era. And I just started, you know, getting into it on the network as I gradually worked my way through the ECW stuff. But that was a great angle they did with that as far as, uh, is this Rick Rude? Is it not? Clearly, it's got to be Rick Rude. Next thing you know, at the pit view, it is not Rick Rude. But then, you know, d- double swerve. Here comes it back. I'm not going to ruin it too much in case you want to go back into the network and watch it yourself. But they did a great job with the build up to that feud and what they did with it. And I hear there's more stuff coming because I'm not all the way through it yet. But uh, right now, I'm still having Rick Rude doing commentary on ECW. Uh, so you typically know there's more to the to the storyline coming. I don't want to do it research too much further because I don't want to ruin it for myself, even though I kind of know what's coming. But uh, basically, you had Francine being a feminine wild distraction ringside. You had Bam Bam Bigelow as the muscle. Uh, originally, he was sort of just a fan that was sort of came there to watch the show. Uh, Shane Douglas is barking at him. You know, basically, you know how Shane Douglas is. You had Chris Candido, no gimmick needed. <laughs> Eventually, his. Uh, girlfriend did eventually come into ECW because Sonny eventually manages to find her way everywhere because <laughs> she couldn't, you know, keep her stuff together long enough in WWE to stay there is what I figured happened. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, Shane Douglas, Mamma Bigelow, Chris Candida, and Francine. Uh, I'd say out of any of the stables you tried to put together uh, as far as being a rival to the fourth you know, on an indie scene, I'd say Triple Threat came the closest. Would you agree with that or disagree? I would agree with that. Um, and, and um, I okay. And I would say that the triple threat, um, to me at least, was um, the best stable that ECW had. Period. And I thought ECW had some great stables. Um, and, um, I, um, I'm not going to name all of them like that, but I um, I, I know we we can both agree that. The Dudley um, family was a um, a a comical one. Would, would you agree with that one? Yeah, that, the Dudley boys were actually one of the rare stables that pulled off the comedy first, but actually became a serious stable at some point. Very rarely can you go from sort of being basically a cartoon to becoming a real strong, credible stable, but they pulled it off beautifully. Uh, on top of that, you know, Bubba Ray slash Bully Ray pulled that off very, very well. Going from uh, 
basically being, you know, a cartoon guy who stuttered, who couldn't, you know, say his name, to eventually a more hardcore guy, and eventually even becoming basically a more muscular guy as opposed to the sort of fat, even though he was sort of hardcore fat guy, he was like a more muscular guy, went from Bubba Ray slash Brother Ray to Bully Ray. So his career as a solo wrestler did very, very similar thing to this career that within the Dudley Boys did. He started out a little bit less seriously, but the character evolved. He became more serious. And then as he as he left the ECW slash WWE, he did you know, a similar thing. He worked out, got himself, you know, a little bit more buff, and his character became a little bit more serious. So I think like I said, the Dudley Boys is a perfect example of a stable that was uh started out one way, went another. And actually I can't, we can't really call the Dudley Boys as a tag team underrated, but you maybe could call the stable underrated just due to yes. the fact that nowadays we th- when we think of the Dudley Boys, most people think of uh, Brother Ray and Devon. They weren't even, quote, the original Dudley Boys. The original no. Dudley Boys were stable with, with multiple groups, but Devon was pretty much the last, one of the last major ones who joined the group. I can't remember if Devon joined last or Spike joined last, but out of the ma- out of the major Dudleys, they were probably the last two. There's been other Dudleys, you know, don't get me wrong, that that sort of uh, joined later on, temporary and other stuff. But out of this quote, what you think of the core Dudley group, uh, you know, you had like Dances with Dudleys, you had Dudley Dubby, Dudley, you had a few other guys. I think Devon might have been the last guy of that group to join in ECW, so. But at any rate, uh, let's move on. Let's let's keep it going since we're talking about like some of these other underrated stables. I'm gonna skip past that one. Skip past that one. Skip past that one. Like I said, because like I said, because there's basically four different lists that I'm looking at, and uh, I don't want to discuss every little member of every group. But here's here's one I kind of want to discuss as far as underrated. Uh, the Job Squad in uh, WWE. Uh, I kind of, like I said, I kind of felt like I have mixed feelings about them. I liked the idea of the Job Squad. When I heard that they were originally in ECW, I sort of liked the name. But once they were on the, quote, Raw roster, it didn't quite get over for me the way that I thought it should, even though I liked the idea in theory. It just didn't quite do enough for me as far as once they became, you know, a thing. Really, they did what they were supposed to do. They pretty much just all jobbed. Uh, you, the main members of the group, you had Bobby Allison, no two horse Scorpio originally. You also had uh, Gilbert, who joined eventually. Silly enough, Gilbert is the only one that held a title when he was with the group. He held a light heavyweight title. That so was what actually comical. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, they were they were a comedy group, so you weren't expecting them to sort of quote main event anything anyway. But still, I, I never felt like they quite got enough, so I can't really consider them underrated, even though they're on this list of underrated group that the, that the Bleacher Report put out. So. Yeah. Um. Um. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of that. Um other group that I know really, really didn't um, quite uh, okay, La Resistance I was a, I wouldn't consider them underrated, I consider them a team that you know, they sort of, you know, they had their moment but they sort of fizzled out uh, I wouldn't consider them underrated, I consider them a team that was you know, 
kind of silly, but not quite. Like I never really expected much out of them anyway. They they sort of met my expectations for what they were. It's not like once they were over, I really missed them being gone. But at the same time, while they did exist, I did sort of enjoy a little bit of what they did. So I, I put them as, you know, rated. They're not overrated. They're not underrated. They had their moment. It's gone. I remember them. But I'm not, you know, yearning for a reunion for them. Uh, I, I will give you that, though. Um, them, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of that other group. Uh, uh, Misfits. I'm trying to remember what group they were. Uh, who, who, who? Uh, that Tropical Railroad. You had Hugh Morris. Uh, you had um, I'm trying to think who else was in there. Uh, Van Hammer. You had um, Lash LaRue. And you had um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Major Guns. Oh, the Misfits in Action. Now I know, and I, now I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, that, that was WCW sort of post NWO, or maybe the sort of end of the NWO. You had, uh, yeah, I, I remember that stable. I'm trying to remember. Should I consider them underrated or overrated or rated right? Like I said, they were sort of a comedy team. They did some funny stuff. Uh, Hugh Morris got a little bit more out of that group when he later became, I think he became General Erection. <laughs> yeah. So. I would I would I wouldn't quite put them underrated. I would put them quote as like, you know, a nice little funny stable that did a nice little thing. I would put them like some of the other stables that I put together. They were they were solid, they were enjoyable. It's not like I really go back and wish for a lot more of them. But they but for when they were around they did a nice job. I was kinda disappointed when they broke up a little bit. But not I was I wasn't torn up about it. I would have liked a little bit more of them, not a lot more. <laughs> That's, I think that'd be the perfect way to put it. So I guess in a lot of ways, it is sort of better to end a stable a little bit too soon than a little bit too late. It's kind of like what they say, like if you were a professional athlete, it's better to leave a year too early than a year too late. Just like. Uh, when you're a team, they tell you it's better to get rid of a player a year too early than a year too late. <laughs> so I, I think that's that, so I say that was probably perfect that way. Now we okay. can't do a list. We can't do a list of most underrated teams without discussing one of you and one of you and I's personal favorites. We talked about our love of this table before, and I'm actually going to bring up another team that's similar to it as well. Uh, so this next spot we'll talk about the Spirit Squad and the Main Street Posse because they they're very, right. to me to me to a lot of to a lot of degree they were almost like the same thing. On the on the one hand, Main Street Posse weren't really quote wrestlers except for uh, Joy Ass, uh, Pete Gas and uh, Rodney were literally just guys like Shane's high school buddies. <laughs> eventually they did train and they eventually became somewhat decent workers decently after a while, but. Basically, they were just there to get beat up. And even though they, I think they did win some minor titles here and there. I think they won tag team championship at some point. I think they won, pretty much everybody won a hardcore title at some point back in the day. So I think they did have some limited success. But really, they were just there to take the beating <laughs> for Shane, because Shane was going to take the beating. So you had that. 
same thing uh, with Spirit Squad, even though they were like a little bit more in a way of formally trained guys, they've been developmental talent guys, but mostly they were just there for comic relief to get beat up. Uh, eventually, I think they kind of thought that Ken Dykstra was going to be the star of the group, but it turned out that was not the case. Uh, Dolph Ziggler ended up becoming the star of that group. Uh, even though he took a little diversion of being uh, Cur- Curl and White's uh, caddy for a while. <laughs> but eventually, Dolph Ziggler became the star. He, even though he never got a long title run, we thought he should have had, he did become world champion twice, so that's still something. He's, on, he's actually doing raw commentary at the moment and stand-up comedy and other stuff, but I always liked those stables. As, they were stables that a lot of fans didn't like, but I knew what their purpose was, and I joined them for that purpose. They, were, they weren't there to be started. They were there to be largely be made fun of. You know, They were to be there to be the butt of jokes. They did that. They were there to get beat up. They did that, and they were very, very good at what they did, being you know, laughable. So they always hold a special place in my heart. I still own the Mean Street Posse at Hotmail.com uh, email account. So if you want to send me some email, send it there. You can send as much email as you want there because basically everything that goes to that email almost automatically goes to the junk folder because I've had that email so long. Literally, I've used just basically just to sign up for stuff now because obviously we've moved on to the Gmail era and stuff like that. So basically, I just use that email whenever I want to sign up for something and then they can send unlimited junk there. I almost never get any real good, decent mail there. So feel free to send all the email you want there if you want. <laughs> but anyway, uh, huh. your your thoughts on those two stables? Uh, I I pretty much have to agree with you on um, all um, points for me and everything. It's just so, so much that some um, outside this the casual fan a lot of times don't understand the um, intimacies of um, wrestling and the thought process behind certain things they do and everything. Like you said, groups like the Mean Street Posse, okay, did you honestly, honestly think that they was going to have a solid um, multiple tag team run? No. Did anyone really think that Shane McMahon was going to be world champion? No. Actually, with, I would say with the Beastie Boss, I didn't, you, you never thought they were going to be a, quote, dominant team that was just going to blow away the division. You could have thought they could have been the division just because they were like Shane's friends. But you actually, Shane is world champion. I thought maybe it could happen just due to the fact that when you own the company, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so good idea, bad idea. Vince was champion. Shane could be champion too. So I, I did think he could be champion. <laughs> now the only reason I didn't think that was because um, um, I didn't, and, and this was my thinking then. Um, Vince did not want Shane to outdo him. So no, all you was gonna get was best case scenario, an IC um, title at best, or maybe the now defunct European title. But he was not going to get a major title, and the group was supposed to protect the title. That was the best I I've, could have ever seen. Okay, interesting take. We're down to our last uh, four, quote, stables we're going to talk about. This next stable we're going to talk about is actually two stables that are very, very similar. They were both headed by the same guy, just a different companies. Can you, can you guess what stable I'm going to talk about now? 
no. Raven's Nest and Raven's Flock. Again, if you were like a ECW fan, you probably consider the Ravens Nest. You won't. You you probably wouldn't consider them underrated on ECW. They probably would be considered underrated only if you go by the WCW version. If you weren't familiar with the ECW version as much. But basically, they, they basically had the same gimmick. You had basement flunkies that uh, Raven would abuse. He would treat poorly. Uh, the members of the group vary a little bit between the companies because a lot of times in WCW you just had whatever was the power plant that they wanted to put into the group, and that's what it was. But uh, obviously, Raven's Nest in ECW was like mainly Stevie Richards, uh, Blue Meanie, uh, Supernova. And then later on, you had some other members who whose names I just started learning last week just because... Right around the time I'm watching ECW now is when Stevie Richards sort of left the group, and he was sort of actually getting a little bit of a main event push at that moment. So he left the group. Uh, and then in WCW, you had guys like Tidman, you had Sick Boy, uh, and a few other guys like that. But basically, you just had whoever the power plant wanted to, wanted to needed to find something to do with after they graduated from somebody. Because they told everybody, if you graduate, you got a job. So they decided a job for them. <laughs> but yeah So uh, Ravens Like I said at the time when I was watching WCW I had not had a chance to watch ECW I sort of followed it over the internet And I hadn't even really seen that many pictures of it either Because the computer I used in college Largely was one of those tech computers You had to go to the main computer lab To have a computer with pictures on it So we just used sort of terminal computers That had no pictures So I just sort of knew the idea of ECW More than I knew the actual product I knew the Dudley Boys existed. I had no idea what they looked like until, you know, a little bit later on. I had, you know, I had an idea of what Sandman did, but I didn't know what he looked like. So, in anyway, uh, at that time, as you get a little bit later in my college career, like I said, I kind of, you know, followed uh, WCW, WCW and, you know, WWF. We actually could watch on TV all the week. In West Virginia in the late 90s, I did not have access to ECW. I didn't get a chance to actually watch ECW on a regular basis until I moved to Tampa in May of 98. Which, by the way, I've discussed probably a few times on the show. The first thing I ever, the first time I ever saw ECW, it was a flashback episode where they were flashing back to Tommy Dreamer handcuffed to the ropes, the Dudley boys taking Julie McGillicuddy, putting her 3D and breaking her neck. That was my, quote, introduction to ECW. I was like, Man, how evil and heinous is this? And I was hooked on ECW ever since. So that shows you my introduction into the into the company of ECW. But anyway, uh, your thoughts on the flock and on uh, Raven's Nest slash flock? Uh, me, I um, actually um, like the flock. To me, the flock was um, at, at least um, bet. Um, I call it um, in WCW. Now, I call um, some throwback episodes of um, that um, on some of the archive episodes. So um, I got to say most people at that point wasn't ready for the ECW um, version of, um, of um, Raven's Nest. And the flock from WCW was a bit more, I guess, um, how can you say it? Main, mainstream. It, uh, 
yeah, more mainstream. Yeah, it, you know what I mean, it was like what it was like um a better fit for the mainstream audience versus um ECW. But let's face it, ECW wasn't for anyone mainstream like that anyway. Yeah, because I was say the main difference between the the flock and the nest was for the nest he was generally generally abusive to everybody in the group and it was kind of blatant. He would slap people. He would beat people in his own group. Usually even in in WWE in WWE and uh in WCW for the most part you might occasionally beat somebody who's part of your stable. You might slap them, you might abuse them, but you won't kick the shit out of them repeatedly. <laughs> like he would beat the shit out of Stevie Richards regularly. <laughs> he would he would abuse anybody, you know, that was part of his group. He even abused people. Like, you really don't get away with abusing women in your stable on mainstream WWE slash WWE TV. You could yell at them. You can do stuff. But you would never, you know, blatantly get away with the, some of the stuff that he did with, like, and stuff like that. So that was the main difference between the two companies as far as the, the, the abuse level that the members of the group would take. They were, don't get me wrong, they were abusing both. But it was a lot more psychological and a lot less physical and a lot more was implied on WCW as opposed to ECW. In ECW, there was all sorts of psychological torture stuff that was done. There was all sorts of manipulation that was taking place, but it was, it was not always subtle to the way that it was in WCW a lot of the times. Anyway, we're down to our final two stables before we get out of here. Uh, first, we got the oddities in WWE. Now, I would say this about the oddities. I had mixed feelings about this group. On the one hand, you were kind of like, you know, is this making fun of people with disabilities? Is this, you know, necessarily the right way to go? So you had that aspect of the gimmick. And you also had the gimmick that I hated a lot of the wrestlers. A lot of the wrestlers were terrible. <laughs> you had, uh, at the time, you had, like, uh, uh, yeah, Kurgan, the interrogator, who was just going by Turgon at this point. But he was like, you know, a guy that I hated watching wrestle. He was very, very bad. You had uh, the Giant Silva, who was also not a good wrestler. Uh, you had, uh, dang, what's this guy's name? I, I can't remember. He used, the, he used a lot of different characters. But basically, he was formerly known as Earthquake. He had on a leather mask <laughs> with knots in it. They made it look like he maybe had knots in his head. He was walking around with a, with a, with a Cartman doll. So you had him. Also, not a good wrestler at that point. You did later get Luna Vachon, who was actually, you know, a good worker. So you had her. At this point, I did not like the stable. I mean, Luna Vachon joined, I think, a little bit later as opposed to the original group. So she did add some credibility to the group. But when the stable really did, I did actually start to enjoy the stable, despite all my misgivings about it, is when they joined ICP. And then they got the uh, ICP music. ICP started wrestling with them. So finally, it's like, I hated this stable for like weeks and for months. They finally put IC with them. I was like, they finally got over my head. And then they broke the stable up. I was like, you wasted all this time finally trying to get me to like the stable. I finally like the stable and you get rid of it. So that was one of the things that really pissed me off about the oddities. But of course, later on, I learned that uh, ICP's deal with WWE was not really a long-term deal. So they left. So, and I guess they realized they probably had milked all they could get out of it. They did put uh, Sable with them at, at, for a while. With the group Didn't really make sense at all Although I guess you saw these quote A beautiful sensitive person who was established Was their group 
But uh, at any rate, that's why I consider them underrated, mainly because of the fact that I finally started liking them at the, the last few weeks they were around, and then they were going just like that. So that's the only reason I put them underrated. The wrestling in the group was terrible. It's when you have the rappers that are better wrestlers than your wrestlers, you know you got a problem. Of course, that's what happens when you have a seven-foot-tall guy. I did want to note, though, uh, my, uh, when I say good friend, he's not really my good friend, but a guy I do like, uh, I do like checking out his tweets and stuff. He does put some good stuff up as far as Twitter. Uh, if, you, if you check out his account, he does put, put some good wrestling stuff up. Uh, he talked about, uh, he talked about uh, Kurgan. Kurgan, surprisingly, has actually been a good actor. He was a bad wrestler. But he's actually been a good actor. He's been in a lot of mainstream, you know, quality movies like Sherlock Holmes and stuff. Uh, his name is his name is Levy Margolin. Uh, so you can check him out. He does put good stuff up about wrestling. His Twitter account is at Levy Marg. It's a at l a v i e m a r g. You want good information about like uh, wrestling? He's a good place to check it out. He actually wrote a book called Trump Mania. Vince McMahon, WWE in the Making of America's 45th President, 2020 Election Special Edition. So check it out. That is available on Amazon. This is not a paid plug. I just like, uh, I'll plug him because he provided me some good information on some of the research I've done. So that's not a paid advertisement anyway. I probably shouldn't be doing it because, you know, it's not a paid advertisement. But, you know, when people, you know, provide good information and put good stuff out, I, I like uh, putting stuff out for them. So that is a free plug for uh, Levy Mark. So. But anyway, uh, he actually posted about uh, Kurgan's career, and I actually knew about that before he posted, but they just reminded me since he ended up talking about it this week. Uh, he's been in a lot of good movies, so he, he's done a good job. He usually plays like a big, tough villain. He's a much better actor than he was wrestler, so shout out to Kurgan. <laughs> or actually, I, I don't know what his real name is. I probably should look it up, but I don't feel like trying to Google it while I'm talking. But anyway, uh, you're th- out of these, uh, Brian. Out of these, uh, I I wasn't a big fan of the group, but um, I um, I feel like this. They had to do something with them, so that's pretty much why they did what they did with them. Yep. Okay, that's short but sweet. Anyway, uh, this final stable that we're going to talk about wasn't really a stable in the true sense, but they were a group that sort of, quote, semi-invaded WWF back in the uh, mid-90s. Basically, when you had the uh, NWO running WCW, WWF kept sort of trying to, you know, figure out what invasion angle we should do. So they had, had the NWO... Invading WCW, you had the NWA invading WWF. Uh, the NWA used to be the strongest uh, wrestling organization around the world. Basically, when we, what we call the territory days, it used to be long before the internet and before you had lots of national uh, television to a large degree or international television. Basically, the only wrestling you usually were exposed to for the most part was your local territory. Like, you would have, like, Florida Championship Wrestling if you live in Florida. You'd have Georgia Championship Wrestling if you lived in Georgia. You had World Class Championship Wrestling if you lived in uh, 
Texas. You had AWA if you lived in Minnesota and maybe Chicago and so on and so forth. You had uh, Pacific, uh, I believe it was Pacific Coast Wrestling out west if you are like out in uh, Seattle and Portland, those areas. But basically, your territory was usually limited to like your state or your major city or a couple major cities in your area. So you didn't get to see, you know, all these other companies. There, there were like literally dozens of territories that you would check, you could check out and uh, watch if you lived in different parts of the country. And occasionally, the, what they would do is the NWA champion was sort of a recognized champion who would travel to various territories around the world, and he would fight your local champion or people from your local territory when you come to the area for you know, basically a weekend or whatever. So you had your own, quote, local champion who would be like, might be the like, Florida champion. He might be the Florida heavyweight champion. He was the champion of your organization. And then they would fight the NWA world champion. That's why back in the day, you didn't have a lot of world champions. There was one world champion and a bunch of, quote, local champions. If you if you see a lot of the people in the WWE Hall of Fame, if they wrestled prior to, I'd say, 1990 or so a lot, you'll see all these different titles they had. But most of the time, the title wouldn't say NWA world champion. It would just, you know, be Florida champion or North American heavyweight champion or whatever else. That's just the way it worked back then. But anyway, uh, by the mid-'90s, WWF had been part of, but it had left like I think in the late, I think in the late seventies is when they left, or maybe even a little bit earlier. WCW left late eighty, late eighties, early nineties. ECW left early nineties. Basically, a lot of the quote, territories had dried up. So even though the NWA existed on paper, it was a shell of its former self. So basically, they didn't have a national TV at the time. They cut a deal to appear on WWE television. So they appeared on Raw for a while. WWF benefited because their roster depth was not very good because basically everybody with talent, almost, with the exception of Austin and a few other guys, who happened to go the other way. Most people, you know, the talent, they went from WWF. As soon as their uh, contract went up, they went to WCW and made a lot more money and worked a lot less. But NWA, again, was a shell of its first stuff. They had, like, Barry Windham, past his prime. Rock and Roll Express, which was past his prime then, but somehow it's still wrestling 30 years later. Although I, I got to admit, for guys that are like <laughs> in the age in the age range of this, the early 60s, I believe, watching them in their late 30s was sad. Watching them in their early 60s is actually kind of fun again. So I guess it takes 30 years. I guess once you're 30 years past your prime, <laughs> it becomes kind of fun again. <laughs> But I've enjoyed watch. I enjoyed watching them last year on NWA. I did not enjoy watching them in the WWF in the late, late to mid nineties. That was horrible. Uh, yeah, I also didn't like them trying to make Bob Holly and Bart Gunn into the Midnight New Midnight Express. That was also terrible. <laughs> but basically, Bart, you had you had uh, Jim Cornette uh, mm-hmm. managing them. You actually had uh, Jeff, I didn't I did not remember this, but apparently NWA North American Champion Jeff Jarrett was with Jim Cornette at some point too. At that, it, it went back in uh, WWE days of the WWF days of the NWA invasion. So, but anyway, I would not that that's not one I would call underrated. That was something that happened and was just sad. NWA now is much stronger than it was back then. NWA is I don't know if it'll ever. I don't think it can ever quite be what it was when it was the dominant thing, but it definitely you know, did a good job with a sort of throwback 
way of doing things with the NWA power and that sort of studio. They do have a you know a decent collection of talent, although hopefully with this COVID shutdown they haven't lost all of it because they getting raided a little bit by AEW and some of the other just because since they haven't been having shows, there's no money coming in for them. So, but any rate, uh, your thoughts on the NWA invasion of uh, of uh. WWE, you did just call it sad, right? Did you have any thoughts other than that, or should I move on? Nah, nah, you move on from there. It was sad. Okay, well, basically at this point, the show's over, but since you were not able to join me for the uh, beginning of the show, I do want to provide you an opportunity to make your predictions just really, really fast because we're pretty much at the end of the show, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read off the matches for Classic Champions for this year. Uh Try not to do too much breakdown. Just tell me who you think is going to win real quick. We got seven matches, so I'm just going to hit you right for fire. Tag team match for WWE Raw Tag Team Championship. Street Profits versus whoever wins the triple threat on Raw. It might be Seth Rollins and Murphy. It might be Andrade and Nadro Garza. Or it might be Umberto Carrillo and Dominic Mysterio. So who you got, Street Profits or the other teams? Street Profits. Okay, you got a triple threat letter match for WWE and Conference Championship. Who you got, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Sami Zayn. Uh, I give it to um, I actually I would let AJ Styles um take the win. Next we got a uh, tag team match for WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship. You got Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura versus Lucha House Party. Uh, Cesaro and um Shinsuke Nakamura. Tag team match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. We got the Riot Squad, Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan versus Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler. The champs are going to retain. Singles match for WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey versus Nikki Cross. Bailey going to retain. Roman Reigns champ with Paul Heyman versus Jay Uso, singles match for WWE Universal Championship. Roman. And we got an MLS match versus WWE Championship. And this match could be changed to Keith Lee, depending on, I guess, Randy Orton's health. But we got, right now, we got a schedule Drew McIntyre, Drew McIntyre, the champion, versus Randy Orton. MLS match, who you got? McIntyre. So, anyway, that is your show for this week. Thanks for uh, filling in for Chris. Like I said, he was murdered and set on fire on somebody's birthday, but hopefully he'll be back very, very soon. Because this is 2020 and anything can happen. Anyway, we're signing off. I'm King David Lane. That's King David Lane on every social media platform. You can follow uh, my good friend Brian Hunter at Brock Bezel on Twitter. at B-R-O-C-K-B-Z-A on Twitter. And you've been listening to Wrestling With Problems. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. This is the Slickster, the Doctor of Style, and you're listening to VOC Nation. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Wrestling. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets.
Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. On Wrestling With Problems, we deal with two things, wrestling and problems. On the wrestling side, we cover the major fads as well as the indies. As far as problems go, we cover our problems, American problems, and world problems. Sometimes the problems are even related to wrestling. Every week, comedian King David Lane and wrestler, promoter Chris Best discuss the best and especially the worst in the world of wrestling with a heaping dose of comedy. Check us out live on VLCNation.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls, and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stein with the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. I came looking for booty. I like you, and I want you. Now, we can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. The choice is yours. Well, I don't think you and I will be doing anything any kind of way. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.